Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Welcome to the Investing Insights Podcast for Morningstar. In this week's podcast, Christine Benz addresses concerns about rising yields for retirement portfolios. Russ Kennel shares his recommendations for some of the best fund picks out there. And David Harrell discusses dividend REITs with Kevin Brown. Let's get started. Here are Christine Benz and Susan Jabinski for Morningstar, Inc. I'm Susan Jabinski for Morningstar. Many factors have contributed to the downturn we've experienced in the stock and bond markets in 2022. But in particular, concerns about rising interest rates have certainly taken their toll. Joining me to discuss the implications of rising yields for retirement portfolios is Christine Benz. She's Director of Personal Finance and Retirement Planning for Morningstar. Hi, Christine. Good to see you. Hi, Susan. Good to see you. So, Christine, let's talk a little bit at the start about what's been going on with interest rates this year. You know, the Fed has raised rates a couple of times already. What's what's been driving that? What's going on? Right. The Fed, first and foremost, is responding to inflation, which has been pretty hard to ignore. Even though we've seen the numbers come down a very little bit very recently, inflation is still really very high. And the Fed is thinking that if it does increase borrowing costs, that could put a damper on demand. So it's really that simple. That's the Fed's goal. But it has had repercussions for financial instruments, that's for sure. Now, you know, when it comes to retirees in particular, retirees very often do hold, you know, some portion of their portfolio in bonds. So let's talk a little bit about how rising yields have affected bond investors this year. How bad has it been? Yeah, so before we get into the specifics, just to talk about why when when interest rates go up, that hurts bonds. The basic idea is that if I have a bond with a yield attached to it, an older bond, and I know that newer bonds are coming online and other market participants know that newer bonds with higher yields are coming online, they're going to say, I don't want that bond. I'm going to mark down the price of that bond because I know that there will be higher yields. And that's the the fact of of holding bonds is that prices are affected by yields. So when yields go down, bond prices go up and vice versa. So what we've been seeing so far this year is this downward pressure on bond prices. And when we look at across mutual funds, we see that certainly they've been affected. So short-term bond funds through sort of uh, early to mid-May are down about 3 or 4% on average. Intermediate-term funds, which have more interest rate sensitivity have been much more affected. So losses are in the realm of 10% so far this year. One thing investors have said is, well, forget bond funds in this environment. Instead, I'm just going to own individual bonds and hold them to maturity. And that's true that if you do that, you won't be affected by these price changes. On the other hand, that can get a little bit complicated to build a portfolio of individual bonds. So it's a trade-off, I would say, for investors. But bond fund investors have definitely incurred some losses so far this year. And that can be tough for retirees who, you know, very often think of their the bond portion of their portfolio as sort of their safer assets. You know, how could a retiree go about doing some sort of bond fund audit in his or her portfolio to make sure that they're really in the right types of bond funds given today's climate? Yeah, I think that's a super worthwhile exercise. Ideally, you would have been doing this along the way. But I do think it's important to think that if you 
have spending needs that you expect to have to cover within the next couple of years, you probably shouldn't be in bonds, even high-quality short-term bonds, because you want to keep your principal value stable. You're probably better off just holding cash for those very short-term goals. Even though inflation will erode the purchasing power of your cash, it's probably the lesser of the two evils. On the other hand, I think if you have a time horizon of, say, three to five years for a goal, I think that you can reasonably be in short-term bonds. You'll have a little bit of price dislocation as interest rates increase, but you will have a higher yield that you'll be able to take advantage of. So I think a short-term bond fund can make sense for time horizons in that ballpark. And then if you have a time horizon of, say, five to ten years, I think intermediate-term bonds can make sense. They have higher yields than short-term bonds and certainly higher yields than cash, but they will have more price-related volatility. So if you hold them, you'd want to have that longer time horizon in mind. Now, annuities are another type of investment that can often benefit in a rising rate environment. Talk a little bit about that. That's right, Susan. All else being equal, we should see annuity payouts rise because insurers, if they take in people's funds who are buying annuities, they have to invest them somewhere. And that, in turn, determines the payout that you receive as an annuity purchaser. So I think we will see some positive effects for annuities. It's been sort of a long, dark night for the very (laughs) basic annuity types where payouts have remained very, very low. But I think we will start to see them pick up with interest rates. The headwind, which we've talked about before, is inflation. That annuities are, the very basic annuity types have fixed payouts, and your purchasing power will be eroded by inflation. So that's a trade-off, even as higher yields should be good for annuity purchasers, inflation could somehow, uh, could somewhat reduce their appeal. And now let's look at the other side of the ledger for retirees who perhaps still have some debt. Um, what, how should they be thinking about this rising rate scenario? Right. And we do see that increasingly retirees are coming into retirement with debt, oftentimes mortgage debt, sometimes student loan debt, somewhat surprisingly, either their own student loan debt or their children's student loan debt. And so if we are seeing higher borrowing costs, which we, which we are, that would tend to make a strong case for paying off that debt as as soon as possible. If you're a mortgage holder with a fixed rate mortgage, of course, you're not going to be affected by mm-hmm. higher interest rates. But certainly, if you have some sort of uh, a, a loan with a variable rate, that argues for accelerating those payments because that loan will become more costly for you over time. Well, Christine, thanks for your time today, for giving us a little bit of perspective about what rising yields mean for retirees. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Susan. I'm Susan Jabinski with Morningstar. Thanks for tuning in. Expand your investing horizons and look to the long term with Morningstar's podcast, The Long View. Join hosts Christine Benz and Jeff Patak as they talk to influential leaders in investing, advice, and personal finance. Search for and subscribe to The Long View today. Next, Russ Kinnell from Morningstar Research Services tells us about great growth funds. Growth stocks are on sale. Near the end of May, growth indices were down about 30% year-to-date. There are two main reasons for this. One, rising interest rates and growth stocks had also gotten very frothy, as evidenced by meme stocks, SPACs, and generally steep valuations. If you're still building your portfolio, that's good news. It means returns from investments you make today will be higher. 
but we don't know when the growth stock bear market will end. Here are three excellent growth funds to consider. In large growth, I like gold-rated Harbor Capital Appreciation. It's run by a deep team at Jenison, and it gives you exposure that's not too hot or not too cold. The idea is simply to find great growth companies uh, poised for even more growth. So top names are very familiar names like Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, and Tesla. In mid-caps, I like T. Rowe Price Mid-Growth. This gold-rated fund reopened to new investors in December 2021. Brian Bergeis is one of the best managers around, and T. Rowe has some of the best healthcare and tech analysts. The one reservation I have here is the fund has a $30 billion asset base, so obviously it's not going to be real nimble. In small caps, there's Loomis Sales Small Cap Growth. The fund looks for good growth potential in overlooked, reasonably priced names. On the other hand, they have a momentum component that spurs them to sell falling stocks or buy stocks on the rise. So you have kind of a good mix of uh, risk and reward there. It's an appealing mix overall that leads to consistent performance. Lastly, here are David Harrell from Morningstar Investment Management and Kevin Brown from Morningstar Research Services. So in your report, uh, you did some great stuff. And one is you, you basically ranked all of the REITs under coverage by their historical dividends. You created a, uh, a one to five rating based on, on multiple factors mm-hmm. and, and rated all of all the REITs, uh, rated the REITs and ranked them. And then you did the same uh, sort of looking forward uh, in terms of sustaining and growing uh, their dividends. Uh, so then you have this, this ranking based on future dividends. Uh, you took the two of those two of those rankings, added in the Morningstar star rating, I believe, and current yield to create uh, sort of an overall ranking of of your REIT universe. And you came up with your three top picks, I believe, uh, currently. And I was wondering if you could share those with us. Sure. Uh, so the first company um, you know want to recommend is Federal Realty Trust. Um, it's a shopping center REIT. Um, you know so. It is one of the member, one of the three members of our in our coverage list that is in the S and P 500 dividend aristocrats index. Um, and it's a very strict standard to adhere to. Um, you have to not only, you know, not have any dividend cuts. You have to raise your dividend each and every year for 25 straight years. Um, it's very difficult for many companies to adhere to that strict list. Um, you know, again, only three of the 27 companies we cover um, actually manage that standard. Um, and Federal Realty, you know, stands out as being, you know, it's a real, it's a retail REIT, and many other retail REITs have had dividend cuts because of the pressures that they have faced um, from, you know, declining brick and mortar sales. Uh, however, Federal Realty has found a way to continue to raise it, and it's their top priority. Um, they want to make sure that they are able to continue to pay a strong, consistent dividend. And even during the pandemic, when you had the payout ratio go above 100% for a couple of quarters, um, they they stuck through it and have emerged out the other side back to their historic you know, level of around 85% uh, of AFO is where they pay out their dividend and they raise it each and every single year. Um, and so they've had... A, great track record. Um, and going forward, we think that they should be one of the top uh, retail REITs in terms of overall growth, uh, because they are focusing on some major development uh, projects of mixed-use retail. So you not only have ground level of 
retail shops and big boxes. But on top of that, you're building office buildings, apartments, and hotels, um, which should give those retail shops a captured audience of you know somebody who always going to be there shopping at your at your stores because frankly that's one way that it it's easier than online shopping to you know to go shopping in person is if you're just have to go down to the ground floor to go to the store um, so you know they've got some very large projects they've completed some and that have been you know really well reviewed um, and we think that Fell Realty is just a great great uh, opportunity for not only for income-oriented investors, but anybody looking for a REIT investment. Um, the next company is Realty Income. Uh, they This is a triple net lease uh, REIT, which means that you know they um, basically are not responsible for the vast majority of expenses towards maintaining their properties. They are, have retail tenants who or lease their uh, portfolio of assets that are all sort of the corner source. Say, imagine, you know, Walgreens and CVS uh, on the corner of major busy intersections, um, and they own those buildings, but the tenant is the responsible for all the operating expenses and also responsible for all the um, maintenance of the property itself. They have to pay for the maintenance. And so, Realty income just sits back and collects uh, rent, a simple rent payment from them without having any major expenses. Um, it makes it a very safe, stable business, um, and are able to, uh, you know, even in in recessions, their cash flows are not changed very much um, because they have such a wide um, cushion between what the operator, the tenants. Uh, cash flows are versus the rent payments that their rent payments are never at risk of being uh, potentially cut. Um, and so because they have stable revenue growth, uh, they are able to promote a stable uh, income of dividend to uh, shareholders. And this is another member of the S&P 500 Dividend Aristocrats Index. Um, and they dub themselves the monthly uh, dividend company because Again, their top priority is paying out a dividend to shareholders. Um, so for they, a very a, stable- And they do that on, on a monthly basis, as, as they say. The, yes, so they pay out a okay. monthly dividend, yes. Is that is that common within the industry or is that fairly rare? No, that is fairly rare. They're, they're the only ones in our coverage who pay out a monthly dividend. All the rest pay out a quarterly dividend. So, but they, 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 they dub themselves, they give themselves their own name of the monthly dividend company. I mean, they say dividend company because, you know, paying a dividend is, again, one of the top priorities for this company. Um, so, you know, that's why they also are at the top of our overall rankings. And Kevin, your third pick was a, was a firm that uh, its cash flow was definitely impacted during the pandemic, correct? Uh, that's correct. Uh, so our third recommendation is Ventos, which is a healthcare REIT. Um, so they focus on three separate uh, healthcare sectors. Uh, senior housing, which saw a very big impact from the pandemic, but also they own 
medical office and life science. And one of the things that we like about them is that they do have their life science and their medical office portfolios, which were not impacted by the pandemic and generally should be relatively defensive during most recessions. Uh, medical office is a portfolio that you know just should continue to grow at two, 3% every year um, and is insulated from most economic impacts. Life science is a sector that should have a significant growth ahead of it as you know many pharmaceuticals continue to invest in their overall research capabilities and many universities are expanding their uh, research campuses and so ventos is the partner that can provide the clusters of life science buildings necessary to continue to fuel that growth and they're seeing significant growth in the four five six percent overall growth every single year from that segment. So those two segments were not impacted by the by the pandemic. However, their largest, which is, represents about 40% of the overall company's cash flows, um, senior housing was impacted by the pandemic. But we think this provides a significant opportunity for growth going forward. Now, senior housing was one of the biggest things impacted by the pandemic because um, you know seniors were very sensitive to the virus. Um, it wasn't that there was any major outbreaks at the facilities of Ventas. Um, it was more so that there were issues with the facilities being quarantined if there was any contact tracing that led to the facility. So if a visitor had uh, contact, you know, that if a visitor had um, the virus, or if somebody who worked there may have had the virus, they would have to shut down the entire facility uh, for an extended period of time, and that meant that you were not bringing in new residents. Um, and so doing that several times uh, throughout the pandemic led to occupancies falling from the mid 80% range to the mid 70% range in about a year's time. Now, since the vaccine has been developed and started rolling out among the senior population, we've seen a significant recovery in occupancy uh, with occupancy growing month over month, every single month over the past year uh, since about March of 2021. And it's even continued to see positive growth through the Delta and the Omicron variants. Now, it's not back up to its prior levels, but it's encouraging to see occupancy start to get back up close to where it previously was. However, we think that occupancies are going to continue to you know reach that level and then push through um, as we see the overall 80 plus population continue to grow. The baby boomers are just starting to age into uh, the target age for these facilities. Um, and so we, while the past decade, we saw the 80 plus population grow at an average rate of about one and a half percent, we're at about 3% uh, right now. And that uh, rate of growth is only going to continue to um, accelerate up to around 7% by 2027. Uh, so that's a huge amount of demand growth. Meanwhile, supply growth, which had been above historical average prior to the pandemic, uh, construction starts went to about zero during the uh, height of the pandemic. And even today is still well below historical average. And since these facilities take anywhere from two to three years to build, you know, we see out, uh, you know, several years that we're going to have very low supply growth. So with uh, rapidly expanding uh, demand growth and low supply growth, we think that occupancy is going to continue to push northwards into around the 90% range, uh, which is where we were at back in 2010, 2011 timeframe. And back then we saw rent growth of four, five, six, 7% uh, on an annual basis. And I think 
with that, you're going to see some very strong growth from senior housing. And that should therefore, you know, fuel strong cash flow growth, which should also fuel uh, strong dividend growth. Um, and okay. so we think that this is going to be a, a you know, company that's going to see lots of growth uh, going forward um, and, you know, should be a good investment for all investors, um, you know, for both those looking for uh, strong growing dividends, but also for investors looking for a company that's just growing its cash flows. Great, great. So it's it's one of the firms that did have have a dividend cut during the pandemic, but your your outlook is very positive for for the firm right now. Correct, correct. And historically, I mean, it, over the past you know twenty plus years, that pandemic cut. Uh, just because of the uncertainty uh, of senior housing cash flows, that's the only time that they have cut their dividend. They made it through the 0809 time frame without cutting their dividend, even though the majority of companies we cover did cut their their dividend during that time period. Ventos did not. So this is Got the it. one exception uh, to to Ventos's history. That does it for this week's Investing Insights podcast from Morningstar. We hope you have enjoyed our program and we welcome your feedback. Please send your comments and questions to podcast at Morningstar.com. From everyone here at Morningstar, thanks for listening. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Research Services, LLC is a subsidiary of Morningstar, Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.